You're listening to the Red Wave Report, the number one rated Fresno State podcast, the official free podcast of TheBarkBoard.com. The thoughts and opinions are that of the show hosts and in no way reflect the thoughts and opinions of the university. Welcome back, everyone, to another edition of the Red Wave Report. I'm being joined by the publisher of the Bark Board, Mr. Jackson Moore. Jackson, devastating loss. How are you doing after that one? <laughs> oh, had a few days for it to sink in, but uh, doing okay. Lucio, how about yourself? Oh, it's another one of those where you, you watch that final play of the game and it's like, don't throw the ball, but it happened. And it, what what's odd is it's kind of in the similar fashion of what happened at USC. And you were in that corner this time. I was <laughs> I was on the opposite side of the field. As you saw that play, uh, you know, unfold. You know, walk us through what you were seeing. Yeah, you know, I almost had the exact same angle as I had at USC, which makes it twice as bad <laughs> from my viewpoint. Um, yeah, I was right, basically behind uh, Antoine Winfield, who made that interception for Minnesota, and. I mean, he had a lot of ground to catch, and it seemed like he had to make maybe a little more of an athletic play than we saw at USC. But, I mean, he sprinted across the field and just yanked that ball out, and it was sunk in as I have had my camera lens going, and the ball went – I mean, he jumped into the frame right as that ball started too as well. It looked like Cam Sutton was going to have a touchdown, and it turned into an interception. And you know, from my angle, I could kind of see it happening very similar to what happened at USC, but – Man, there's some other angles where you would have never known. Uh, on the TV, for example, um, you go on the Minnesota, our, our partner site for 24-7 Sports, uh, Gopher Illustrated, uh, they have a screenshot of the TV broadcast, and the ball is in the air, Cam Sutton is running to the end zone, and there's no one else in the frame. It looks like it's going to be a touchdown if you're watching on TV. And as it pans and the ball goes, here comes Winfield out of nowhere picking it off, and I uh, actually talked to my dad this morning who was sitting in that opposite end zone kind of with the uh, viewpoint from the back of the field from where that play's developing and he said he threw his arms up in the air touchdown as the ball was in the air and here comes this guy out of nowhere so um, from our viewpoints I think again we saw it happening maybe a little earlier than most but just a uh, you know it's not just two close losses it's just the fact that they happen so similarly and again similarly to Minnesota how it happened a year previously with the same guy. It's just all tough to swallow from several different uh, viewpoints of it. No, that the the worst part is, you know, from my angle, I'm watching this play unfold, and I could see that safety just going for it. I'm like, <laughs> and that, that was before the ball was even out of Reyna's hands, so he knew where the ball was going to go, and I'm sitting there going, don't throw it, don't throw it, and, <laughs> and sure enough, he threw it, and I'm like, "Here we go again." It's going right to that safety. The the what what kills me the most though is if Reina would have looked off that receiver and looked to the other side of the field, one on one matchup. The other the other receiver was wide open. <laughs> he had a good you know a good eight yards on his on his defender, all to himself. Had had Reina just looked off and looked to the other side. You know, for a quick glimpse, he might have seen a wide open wide receiver on the other side of the field, and it just didn't happen. Yeah, and just from Reyna's viewpoint, I mean, he doesn't see the safety originally, and he thinks he's got a wide open guy on the other side of the field. And you know, Coach Tedford, as he mentioned, now two games in a row, 
both of those plays, they got exactly what they wanted. They had a receiver wide open, and Reyna was in a position where he kind of let it float in an attempt to just make sure the ball got to the receiver, and that attempt to safe, kind of conservatively get the ball in there gave the defender enough time to get to it himself and, and get the ball, and um, just a really unfortunate way for the game to end for the Bulldogs two weekends in a row now. You know, how, how devastating does this have to be to uh, Reyna's confidence now you know, two plays back to back, two different games, similar play, similar outcome, and what kind of a blow is that to 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 Reina's psyche now heading into the next game? Yeah, you know, I know he had to, he got off social media, I believe. He <laughs> got to interview him a little bit at practice on Tuesday, and I'm sure some of the comments he's getting aren't pretty. Uh, so he's gonna try to maintain his confidence without checking Twitter or anything like that for a while. You know, Marcus McMarion did the same thing last year as well, and. Uh, he didn't really do anything that would kind of get that same type of criticism either. So, uh, but with Reyna, I mean, it, it's tough. And because the, depending on how you look at it, some are critical of the way he's played the rest of the games. Uh, I mean, in terms besides those last two plays, I think he, he's played pretty solid uh, for the most part. Um, but those last two plays, I mean, that's the difference between being the hero and the scapegoat are those two throws. If he throws touchdowns on those plays, everyone's calling Jorge Reyna the, the hero of the 2-0 Bulldogs. And, but it just went the wrong way by a split second, and now he's the one taking most of the criticism. And there was a lot that went wrong in those two games from both offense and defense, from Reyna, from linemen, all over the place where if they just would have been a little bit better, they do win those two games. And I think they're going to drill that home to Jorge that – not to get too down on themselves on those two plays, but just being on the field, I haven't seen someone quite as emotional as Jorge was following that game. But what's what's also not doing the Bulldogs any favors is the running game right now. The running game, for some reason, is having a hard time getting going. And uh, it seems like the Bulldogs are, are pretty much uh, abandoning the running game, for lack of a better term, to to just concentrate on the, uh, the passing game. And... Reyna hasn't exactly been completely sharp on all of his passes. Uh, any any kind of idea why they're kind of abandoning the running game right now? Well, you know, one of the things about this offense is that they still have the same philosophy despite a new offensive coordinator, uh, Ryan Grubb replacing Kalen DeBoer, come from the same rec- uh, coaching background. They came here together, and uh, they wanted to keep that continuity. And the idea, for the most part, is to, you know, Pick up as many on first and second down to set you up for positive third down situations, third and two, third and three. You know, it's not, I mean, if you take a shot on first or second down, you might put yourself in a tough third down situation. And they're trying to keep this offense out of third and long as much as possible. And one of the things about this offensive line right now is that I'd say most of the game they're doing pretty well, but they're still breaking in a few new guys. And Every now and then they give up a big sack, they give up a defensive lineman or a linebacker that comes through and, and disrupts the running game. And, um, you know, it's hard to rely on it too heavily when you're at risk of losing yardage. Um, you know, Ronnie Rivers, he, he only carried the ball 15 times, but he did take it for five yards a carry. He had one long of 19 yards. So, you know, Ronnie himself has done a decent job. Uh, they had a little more success than they did against USC, but. They haven't quite had the balance to really go to it 
and break in Josh Hokett. He's only carried the ball one time in two games, and that's got to be pretty frustrating for him as well. But, um, you know, both of these matchups, they've had to rely on Jorge and his legs a little bit, and they have had to go to the passing game. Some of the short yardage, um, you know, Ronnie Rivers took five catches. He was probably more explosive through the air than he was on the ground, to, to be frank, scoring twice on receptions. So I think this is a deal where hopefully the next two games the offensive line can break in a little bit better and find some more balance and just get a little more under control because literally every snap the Bulldogs have played in the 2019 season so far, they've either been playing from behind, they've been down just a possession, or they've had a, a few areas now where they were up by just a score. So there really hasn't been any time this offense has not been under pressure, and I think once they get some of those circumstances in the next couple of weeks, get a, maybe a two-score lead on Sac State and uh, New Mexico State, then that's where this offense can kind of start to settle in and start to figure itself out a little bit and not be so under pressure and really get in sync. It just feels like this offense... Here and there, they do good. They make a big play here, but the drives have just not quite been there. They got a lot of help on third down where Minnesota, I think three different times, committed uh, personal foul penalties to give the Bulldogs first downs where they wouldn't have converted those plays. So, you know, that's kind of my viewpoint. You look at last year's team, I think it was the first nine games. uh, They won all of them by double digits, except for, of course, the one they lost at Minnesota. So by the time they got towards the end of the season, they were as clicking as good as it could be. But this team has just not been able to relax. They've been under pressure. And uh, I think given the circumstances, they've done a pretty good job. 35 points against Minnesota, uh, you know, nearly coming back with the 23 spot at USC. So um, they're almost there, but they just haven't had the opportunity to be able to make mistakes. Uh, they've just been too costly so far. So, I mean, right now – Theoretically, they should be through the toughest part of their schedule right now. Uh, does that, you know, does that mean that the Bulldogs right now could theoretically, you know, rip off a, a, a string of wins now with the the type of schedule that's ahead of them? Well, that is what I'm expecting. Um, these first two games, I really thought the Bulldogs could go two and zero. I thought they could go one and one or zero and two. And after watching the last eight quarters and two overtimes, it could have gone any of those ways. But for the Bulldogs, unfortunately, it is the 0-2 mark. And I believe USC and Minnesota are the two best teams that they're going to see this year, on the regular schedule at least. I think Utah State is close. I'm still kind of waiting to see how Gary Anderson has that team going. They were a little underwhelming against Wake Forest, but just like the Bulldogs, three-point underdogs and lost by about three points. So um, they should be pretty much on par with Fresno State. Uh, Hawaii is impressing. San Diego State, they beat UCLA. Not the greatest achievement, but it's always great to have a Power 5 win. Uh, Nevada, they got smoked by Oregon on Saturday, um, one of the uglier games of the weekend. So uh, right now, at least for the near future, the Bulldogs have Sac State. They go to New Mexico State, and they've got two buys before and after that. So they have plenty of time to get everything figured out. They start conference play at Air Force coming off of a bye to get ready for that option offense and then home against UNLV and Colorado State. Those are five games that should be very winnable for Fresno State. And then you get into that streak of the three games that are going to make or break the Bulldogs conference title hopes at Hawaii versus Utah State at San Diego State. So I definitely see the Bulldogs ripping off at least five wins in a row. And it's assuming they keep the locker room together through all this uh, adversity, but 
Uh, it's going to be a matter of getting everything in order and clicking at the right time when they play those three conference matchups. I mean, it, it, it comes right at the right time right now. Uh, after those two those two losses right now, uh, I saw a poll that the Bulldogs are basically the best 0-2 team <laughs> out there right now. Um, you know, it could have easily be 2-0 and uh, because it all came down to just basically one play on both of those both of those games. So Fresno State is in a good position right now. They can they can really burn off some some wins here and and put a good stretch together. You know, you know, being able to put on a bunch of wins one after another that should help get this team back on track and and not only not only on the field but in the locker room as well because they you know, let's face it these two losses probably it's taking its toll on them right yeah you know I've been out at practice this week and mostly talking to the younger guys because now we're actually allowed to interview them that since they played in their first games but I did ask them what they've learned about the adversity from being around so many veterans that are particularly on defense and they feel like those guys have been through it. They're the, a lot of the same players that went to Minnesota and fell short last year. So uh, they've know how to bounce back last year. Of course, after starting one and one, they ripped off a bunch of wins in a row with a, a pretty similar schedule to what we're looking at this time around. Um, but it feels like that, Coach Tedford has got this team in the right mindset that they're not going to fold, and I think that's the biggest thing. Um, this team, I believe, is pretty dang talented. One of the upper teams in the Mountain West, of course, and these are five games they should win if they keep everything together and stay healthy at a few key positions. Probably at Air Force is the biggest uh, challenge. That's a team that can cause problems. Um, you know, the Bulldogs, this coaching staff hasn't seen that offense yet uh, because the Bulldogs have not played Air Force for two years, the last two seasons. So uh, that one, you know, you kind of wait and see what happens there. But as long as they open up conference play with a win at Air Force, they should be in really good shape to make a run down the stretch. Yeah, so, you know, things things should be able to, to kind of get together. And depending on how many in- injuries are going to happen throughout the season for the Bulldogs and their opponents – you know they have a chance that actually you know they could run the table from this point on i mean that's how good this team is they just lack a little bit of confidence right now and after after the game if it's any indication this coaching staff is not happy at all right now of how things have gone and you know what what's what's your kind of take on what you saw from the coaches are they are they kind of trying to circle the wagons a little bit and trying to get this team to not hear all that noise I think so. Um, probably Jorge is the biggest concern just because he's the one that's in the spotlight at the quarterback position. But, you know, I feel like uh, I feel for the coaches. I think they put together game plans that could have this team at 2-0, and but they start off slow against USC. And that's kind of one of those things where no matter what they do or say, uh, it's hard to stop a team from coming out under the lights at USC and not starting out slow against that kind of competition they saw in week one. Um, and then against Minnesota, they start off slow again, not necessarily the fashion that we expected, but they did pick it up and they even took the lead and they were basically one play away a couple of different times from winning that game against the Golden Gophers. And that's just, uh, it's heartbreaking if you put in that work and you're so close to victory, uh, looked on ESPN where they have your win percentage probability and with 50 seconds left the Bulldogs are 92 percent likely to win and the one play Minnesota can make to change those odds they make and 
those are the kind of things that are, are tough for the coaches to handle when they feel like they've put the team in the right position to win. But they also know they've got a team that's not quite as polished as they were last year and that they can be that same kind of team by the time November hits. But um, they got to just get back to the fundamentals as Coach Tedford preaches during this bye week and give it another go. Now watching uh, what you saw from this offense uh, kind of came out slow at the beginning um, against this uh, Minnesota defense, but uh, in the second half they they seemed to start to kind of get things together. Although, however, on some of these plays, the only reason why the offense kept moving the ball was Minnesota shooting themselves in the foot. <laughs> uh, and had that not happened, would have been a different story, Jackson. Probably. I mean, when you look at the game as a whole, I think you say Fresno State lost it by missing those plays they could have made to secure the game at the end. But I look at the end of the second quarter, the Bulldogs are down 14 to 3 and they have third and 22 and they're preparing to give the ball back to Minnesota and the Golden Gophers commit a face mask penalty that had nothing to do with what was going on during the play. And that drive two plays later turns into a Fresno State touchdown. And all of a sudden, it's a 14-10 to 10 game going into halftime. And the Bulldogs are getting ready to get the ball back, uh, which they do. And they kick a field goal. And now it's a one-point game. Minnesota fumbles. And the Bulldogs score again. Now the Bulldogs have the lead. So that game turned on Minnesota really quickly. If they don't you know, give up that penalty, they go into the halftime most likely with a 14-3 to 3 lead. And perhaps Fresno State is still scratching their heads on what to do to get the ball moving against this Minnesota defense. So from that perspective, the Golden Gophers also had a bit of a a slippage on their own part. But yeah, and then even a few other times, I think I counted three times Fresno State's drives were extended purely by Minnesota penalties. The muff punt. Yeah, and the muff punt. Yeah, there was quite a couple turnovers there. Um, And you look at the second half, uh, the Golden Gophers only had three real drives because of that muff punt, they scored two touchdowns, and the other time was the fumble. Uh, so, I mean, they, they were actually pretty darn uh, uh, consistent on offense. They just kept shooting themselves in the foot, plus the defense was shooting themselves in the foot. So, um, you know, Fresno State ultimately, by the end of the 60-plus minutes of play, had a decent showing on offense, but it could have been a lot different if not for some help. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it and you go back and you and you look at all those plays – had Minnesota played a clean game, we wouldn't be sitting here having this conversation. Uh, I mean, Minnesota could have probably ran away with it just on pure the pure fact that they were playing a such uh, you know they they were so hard to stop on offense that it would have been they they could have easily ran away with this game had they not had those turnovers. Uh, they were not doing themselves any favor by any means during this whole game. Um, and allowed the Bulldogs to stay in it and gain confidence as the game went on. You know, everyone thought that the, this game was going to be going to be over when when uh, Minnesota kicked the field goal in overtime. And I even saw some fans leave because they thought this game was going to be done. Uh, I saw fans leave in the fourth quarter when they thought the Bulldogs were going to win it as well. So it just goes to show you that Minnesota never gave up and kept pushing and ended up you know, making a spectacular play in the end in order to win this one. But had they not committed any of these penalties, we wouldn't even be talking about it. I mean, it would have been a done deal. Yeah, and I think Fresno State deserves some credit for taking advantage of the momentum because they were in a similar situation at USC in week one where 
the Trojans in a similar light had established a lead and looked like they were about to let it go and maybe not be able to recover with the backup quarterback in. And the Bulldogs were not able to take advantage. They got into scoring position three times and just had to settle for three points, I believe, out of those attempts. And then USC rips off the kick return. They score another touchdown, and it looks like a blowout until the Bulldogs come back a second time. But uh, Fresno State was able to take advantage of that momentum swing between the second and third quarters in this game. They just weren't able to finish it off in the fourth quarter when they got their, their first leads of the season, which is a, an odd thing to say for Fresno State, but it took them seven quarters, I believe, to finally feel that <laughs> have that feeling of winning the game. And uh, this was an offense with a lot of young guys, and they just weren't able to, to get it done. Now, you know, we, we kind of touched upon what the offense was having trouble doing, but what we haven't touched upon is how the defense was having trouble just stopping Minnesota uh, at, at, you know, at certain junctions. Did it, did it seem to you they kind of came out kind of, kind of like flat and kind of just wide eyed just seeing this team here and, and Minnesota was able to just march down the field on that first possession. Is it is it starting to become a little bit concerning seeing what this defense is doing heading into these next matchups? Uh, the thing that was concerning for me was that the defense came out. You know, it's a multiple defense. That's been the way that they've established themselves since they got here. But we saw basically something that I don't recall seeing at all. They basically went to a pure 3-4 defense to open the game. And while they might have thought that was the best matchup to go against Minnesota, I felt like they weren't quite in sync with that formation. Obviously, they got off to a slow start. Um, they basically eliminated the defensive end positions from the defense. They brought in three tackles and four linebackers, moved Michael Walker back out to the edge. Um, so it was a, a different look. And I thought they had trouble that first drive getting it down. They did come out. Second drive forced a fumble. The third drive they forced a punt. And I believe it was around that time where Chris Gaston gets injured at cornerback, and then you're forced to have a true freshman corner against the Minnesota team. While they're known for their running attack and their big linemen, they have two, maybe three wide receivers that are like four-star kind of guys. I don't know why they're at Minnesota, but uh, as we saw in two meetings now, they are definitely capable of making the big plays when needed, particularly on third and long. And you know, Deshaun Ruffin did a pretty good job stepping in as a true freshman in that situation, but that's not the matchup you want if you're Fresno State by any means. And um, you know, Minnesota only punted twice in this game. They turned the ball over twice, and the rest of the drives ended in points. So um, you know, some sh- uh, up-and-down play, I guess, by the defense. Um, ultimately, it wasn't good enough by any means. Now, what's what's going to be... What what really kind of did the Bulldogs in on the defense, where they had to kind of you know kind of figure out how to get things going again, was the targeting play on Mosby. Uh, Mosby gets ejected from the game. Now the Bulldogs all of a sudden have to shuffle things around in order to cover his, what Mosby was was trying to do in that game. Is that you know could that have contributed to some of the issues that the Bulldogs were facing during that game? Yeah, that's the drive where the Bulldogs were set back, definitely. Um, they came out slow, as I mentioned, opening touchdown for Minnesota, but they forced a turnover and a punt on drives two and three. And then on drive four, um, Aaron Mosby picks up that uh, personal foul, the targeting call. Uh, it was a, a third down situation for Minnesota. 
and right around that same time is when Chris Gaston gets injured, and then after Minnesota scores, you've got defensive tackle Jasad Haynes laying on the turf with an ankle injury. I mean, that's three starters that were all, for one reason or another, had to leave the game, and this is a defense that should be comparable to what they were last year, but you take three starters out of the equation, and that's going to hurt you definitely. Um the Bulldogs still, they held Minnesota to 14 points through three quarters, and if they just make one more stop on that last touchdown for in regulation, uh, the Gophers only walk out with 21. But uh, they think they got caught some good fortune with the muff punt and the, the turnovers, and uh, Minnesota ultimately proved that they were able to score mostly at will when they could stop shooting themselves in the foot. However, during this game, we saw another bright spot, though. That you know That's the kicking game. The Fresno State made that move last second, got a different uh, uh, a different kicker in there, and now all of a sudden, I don't think he's missed one yet, has he, Jackson? Well, he missed the first one he kicked against Minnesota, but it was a 50-yarder with the wind. That's I mean, right. I forgot about that I, one. I think most people, when they saw him run out there, were going to be lenient if he didn't make that one. Bulldog Stadium usually doesn't have a, a breeze like what we're seeing uh, breeze is not probably the word to describe <laughs> what, what was going on. It was like 30 miles yeah. an hour. I mean, <laughs> but uh, he went out there, he kicked it two more. You could tell his confidence wasn't shaken or anything. So that was really good to see uh, a few other bright spots. You know, I mentioned that defense changing things up. Uh, they went with true freshman Lavelle Bailey in the starting lineup. He comes away with seven tackles, two and a half tackles for loss and a sack. The Bulldogs have a real star in the making, I think with him at linebacker. Uh, Justin Rice has been awesome through two games, forcing two fumbles. He's got a pick in the, the previous game, so uh, he led the team in tackles. He's been a big, uh, you know, I've been talking him up quite a bit as he's been waiting his turn, and now he's finally getting it, and he's making the most of it. Uh, Deshaun Ruffin got put in some tough situations, but he was able to come away with five tackles at cornerback um, on offense. We saw Darion Grimm be the kind of guy we expected him to be. He's leading the team so far on the receiving end. Zane Pope caught a bunch of passes. Chris Coleman again. We finally got Jared Rice in the end zone this season. So a few things to take away, but um, you know it doesn't make you feel any better about zero and two. No, no, it doesn't. It, but at least at least the the you know, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. You know, you're seeing some of the good things start to come together for the Bulldogs. The question is, is how much of a toll on these two losses has taken on these players emotionally? You know, Tedford has been pretty good about getting their their players reined back in and getting them refocused. But there's a lot of young guys on this team. You know, how how are they going to react to something like this, Jackson? Yeah, you know, I talked to them and they've really been leaning on the the leadership of the older guys. Uh, talking to some of these younger guys like Bailey, who I mentioned, and Ruffin. Talked to both of them this week and. Uh, they know the older guys have been through it, and they're still kind of treading water just to to keep themselves in position to play. Uh, so that's kind of been their main focus, I think. Um, but they know the hurt of losing. They did, they wanted to win just the same as the other guys. Um, but I think that's where the schedule becomes the biggest thing. If Fresno State was coming out against Utah State for uh, you know a critical conference game this Saturday, I wouldn't be feeling too good about the team's emotional state, but. They do get a bye. They do get two games that should be pretty lopsided victories and another bye. So I think by the time conference play hits, this team will be feeling pretty confident. Yeah, and and hopefully so. I mean, uh, you know, all these players are kind of are a little shaken, but, you know, 
the, the one guy that you really need to shake it off is is Reyna, you know, especially after these two games. And, you know, do you think there's with Reyna, the good thing with him is he has a roommate who's been through it before. And that and that roommate of his, believe it or not, is still Marcus McMarion at the moment. So he still has someone to kind of lean back on and to kind of help him break down what just happened. Right, Jackson? Yeah. And, you know, Marcus had a lot more good moments than, than bad moments. I don't think I can't think of anything where I mean, where you blame McMarion for a loss going back. Uh, in fact, the interception we keep talking about the previous year at Minnesota was a trick play that Josh Hokett threw. It wasn't McMarion's fault. So um, while he had a lot of good times at Fresno State, he went through it at Oregon State. He was benched several times. They didn't win very many games with the Beavers, whether he was in there or not. And so he really had to overcome quite a lot to be in a position to help the Bulldogs. And he's right there to help Jorge along. And those two guys have been, you know, conjoined at the hip the last two years with Raina backing up McMarion and I'm sure they've got a pretty good bond after all that experience now the one highlight that really sticks out to me uh out of this whole game you know it's that fake field goal Jackson uh, I mean <laughs> really I mean the the Bulldogs haven't done something like that in quite some time and it really energized the stadium after that one play mm. I mean it was it was interesting to watch because normally they work it out the other way. They do the swinging gate where everyone's lined up, not in field goal position. They did the reverse this time. They were in field goal and then they swung out. Uh, I mean, was that something you've seen or something that just kind of caught you off guard what was going on there? Yeah, you know, the only other time we've seen it was at UCLA when they did, when it had a trick play for two points. And, you know, this time it was just – but kind of bizarre the whole offensive line adjusted and I know Minnesota was scratching their heads on defense and the crowd got excited and I had to sprint to get in position for a photo because I was just waiting for them to to kick an extra point through there to not have much go on but uh yeah I know Lavelle Bailey talking to him he thought that was the loudest the crowd got all game was on that play and I mean it was an exciting play and it worked it was I mean, Hokit had to really manage his way into the goal line, but it worked, and it gave the Bulldogs a seven-point lead. You know, if they don't make that play, uh, Minnesota's touchdown at the end of the fourth quarter could have ended it right there. Yeah, so it was, it was, you know, it was exciting to watch that happen. It was exciting to watch it unfold because it actually, you, you could see it. It really energized the crowd uh, on that particular play. I mean, anytime there's a trick play, the crowd's <laughs> going to get into it. But that one more than more than ever because it ended up giving the getting the Bulldogs to a seven point lead versus it being um, you know a six point lead, which would have allowed the Minnesota to to you know go up by a score had they scored on their next possession. And by doing that, I mean it was a good call. I'm not really sure if it was something that <laughs> I would have called in that moment. It was way too early in the game still, but it did catch Minnesota off guard and it 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 did end up in the result that they wanted. It was a very close play. It ha- it had to be reviewed. Um and again, another game that was really slowed down by reviews, Jackson is is I don't know what it is, but why is there so many reviews in these last two games? Uh, you know, I there was a, a lot of big timeouts as well. Uh, you know, Minnesota was really grinding the clock out on a lot of their drives, and 
I mean, they had to slow it down to get all the commercials in, I think, on TV, or else that game would have been over really fast. And then, of course, at the end, the, we get extra football. So, yeah. um, you know, even with the overtimes, it was kind of a wasn't a terribly long game, but there was a lot of pauses in between. Uh, I mean, again, you had Minnesota running the ball a lot. Fresno State as well was kind of had some long drives as well that ate at the clock. So, I mean, that's the way they're going. And I think there's one point, they, there's about a two-minute timeout. Bulldogs come out and kick the ball for a field goal, and then there's another two- or three-minute timeout after that. So, fortunately, the atmosphere at Bulldog Stadium was lively enough to keep people on their feet and make it through those. Yeah, so it, it did help that the the crowd got into this game. Um, whether or not we're going to see a return crowd like this for Sacramento is uh, remains to be seen. Um, I know after two straight losses, uh, the the attendance is probably going to take a hit um, in this one, uh, but we'll we'll see how how faithful this this bulldog crowd is going to be. Um, are they going to be forgiving on the two losses, or are they going to be the type that's going to kind of sit back and and take a wait and see kind of approach? Uh, what do you think, Jackson? I mean, is the, the crowd going to show up for the next game? <laughs> The regulars will be there, I think, but I don't know if they're going to get much help from the the walk-ups and the the last-minute people or the ones that wait to see the result, whether or not they're going to go. Um, I mean, I even look at last year. San Diego State comes to Bulldog Stadium, and the Bulldogs win that game in front of, I believe, 36,000. It was even more than it was on Saturday. And the Bulldogs won. They clinched the division. I mean, it was a big deal. And the next week, San Jose State comes to town for senior night, and I think it was only 23. I mean, it was <laughs> mid to low 20s. So, I mean, even if you win, if you have Sacramento State coming in, you're going to see a dip. And especially at 0-2, it, it might be I – mean, it should be probably the lowest attended game of the season. But hopefully, I mean, it's going to be the only home game for about five weeks, I think. We're talking about two buys and two road trips. So, if you want to see Bulldog football, this is basically your only chance for a good – uh, 30 40 days out of that stretch uh, you're telling me jackson if we don't travel we're going to go through withdrawals yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we'll have to take a look at that one um but did the bulldogs come out unscathed in this one was there any injuries to report that you can report on yeah so as mentioned chris gaston had to leave jasada haynes left um curio woodley also left uh, that was later in the game on the offensive line so those are the three concerns Saw Woodley practicing this week, and we'll have some more updates on the the insider board as to what's going on with the other guys uh, out at practice this week. And while they may or may not take some hits there, the good news is they have some guys that are almost ready to get into action for the first time this year. Looking at Amorie Edwards at receiver, uh, Jace Fuamatu on the offensive line, and Nico Thomas, who's a JUCO defensive end. That could be a, a real influx of talent if those three guys are ready to go before conference, and it looks like they're getting there. Now, you've seen the rest of this schedule that the Bulldogs are going to be facing. Uh, you've been kind of uh, taking some mental notes. What what do you see as the next hurdle for the Bulldogs to get through? In the next couple of weeks, uh, the next couple of games, you, you've got Sacramento State and New Mexico. Bulldogs should easily win those, hopefully. Um, but beyond that, do you see any potential stumbling blocks that, that could really face the Bulldogs there? 
Yeah. Um, well, Sacramento State, they did give Arizona State a little bit of a scare last week. <laughs> I forgot and, about uh, that one. <laughs> it was only, I mean, they were in it, and it ended up being a 19-7 to loss, so maybe they're not quite the pushovers that I was expecting, but they did only go 2-8 and eight last year. It should be a game the Bulldogs can get some momentum going and win by a couple scores. Um, you know, Air Force is a game that I think the Bulldogs should be able to handle. I know looking at some things like ESPN's FPI, it's not the end all by any means, but they've got Air Force as a potential favorite going into that game. Uh, I just look at the Bulldogs having a bye week going into that game and as well as just the added rest. They should be at a much better advantage. Air Force has to go to Colorado. They've got to go to Boise. They've got to go to Navy all before that game happens. So the Bulldogs should be the much fresher team and the more well-prepared team for that one. And then Colorado State and UNLV are two teams that kind of have enough to win games like that but don't often do it. So uh, not cakewalks, but games that the Bulldogs should win a good eight or nine out of ten times. And then you get to that that stretch there in November at Hawaii, Utah State, at San Diego State that is really, in my mind, going to define this season. Yeah, so it's uh, it, it, it could really – I mean – it could really be a good season for the dogs if they if they're able to just kind of string those wins together and uh they should be in contention for another Mountain West uh title game question is is anybody else going to lose to allow them to get a home game on the Mountain West title game Jackson do you see those those other teams that are favored to win it like Boise State maybe stumbling along the way now, right now, Boise State's in the driver's seat. They're ranked, and if they win out, they're going to be the home team no matter what Fresno State does because those two teams don't play head-to-head to alter each other's course. So um, I don't think you can count on a home game regardless. Uh, you mean they're not going to play a four games <laughs> in like two years? <laughs> I mean, yeah, they could end up seeing each other anyway, but right now they're not on the schedule. Uh, Utah State is probably the biggest challenger to Boise State in that division. Uh, the Bulldogs will see Utah State, and mathematically, they can lose that game and still win the division uh, outright. Uh, they have they go to Hawaii and San Diego State and win all the games they need to take care of. But uh, yeah, right now, you know, for even to go eight and zero in conference play might be a little bit of a stretch for the Bulldogs, but. Um, they can certainly get to the game. It's just hosting looks like it might be a bit of a challenge right now with the way Boise's moving. Now, uh, before this game, the Dogs still had a chance to kind of get into the top 25 if they were to kind of pull off a win against uh, Minnesota. Those dreams have evaporated Mm -hmm. at the moment. Uh, It doesn't necessarily mean that the Dogs can't get there by the end of the season, but they're going to need uh, a little bit of help and, and really win out in order to do so. Um, and it is, it is possible. Um, and it is possible that we'll see the Bulldogs in another championship game. Uh, the question is, is do they have enough to kind of win out and, and give them a chance to maybe host the game, which right now is going to be very tough because Boise is going to have to lose at least two games in order for the, the dogs to, to have any opportunity to host, a, a you know, a mountain West title game. And, it could still happen. Boise's not, no, it, they're not the Superman team that they used to be. I mean, they they do have chinks in their armor, so maybe we'll see some of those those chinks start to develop throughout the year. But uh, that being said, Jackson, 
Um, any any other news? Anything else you want to report on? I th- I know we don't have a game to kind of break up and and trying to get ready for for this upcoming week. So we're our podcast is a little shorter than usual. But any final thoughts on on anything you want to talk about? Uh, well, switching gears to basketball a little bit, the Bulldogs have picked up uh, two commitments. We've got one exclusive to the premium board right now, if you want to head over there and find out who. The other one has announced his decision, and that is uh, Destin Whitaker. He's out of Illinois. Uh, had several offers out there uh, closer to home in the Midwest, looking at teams like DePaul, Illinois State, uh, UIC, Wisconsin Green Bay, a lot of these schools that are more known for basketball out there. And he got the one offer from Fresno State on the West Coast and really fell in love with the dogs, fell in love with what Coach Hudson offered him and um, really likes just what's going on with the the Bulldog program, getting some momentum. And he was out in Fresno for a visit this past weekend, saw the red wave in action at Bulldog Stadium, and that was one of the several things that helped him feel convinced to become a Bulldog. So those things do matter to recruits uh, in a sense. And he's a six foot five guard, really good shooter. He's got a little bit of an unusual form. He gets off the floor pretty high. He's got good athleticism, and he uses it in his jump shot. So that's going to be interesting to see. Uh, the Bulldogs are going to be replacing guards this year and more guards the following year. So there's going to be a lot of opportunity to get him on the floor and uh, let him jack up some three pointers. Yeah. So you know, getting geared up for basketball already. It's never. It's never too early for Jackson. He loves <laughs> basketball. So uh, whenever he gets an opportunity to talk about it, he's going to take it. Uh, but any other any other news or stories that uh, you want to talk about? Um, you know, that's been the big thing. We're going to have some more creative features this week since we don't have as much to report on on a, a game week. I'll be looking at the film a little closer throughout the week and putting a report out there regarding what I'm seeing that maybe went over uh, during live and broadcast action. Um, we've got uh, reports from practice this week, talked to several players. Those full interviews will be available to our premium members and coaches as well. And uh, just doing our best to keep the whole site moving and stocked with content, even when the Bulldogs aren't playing on Saturday. Yeah, so this is uh... – we will we will be back in full force again next week after we you know we get to recharge our batteries this weekend uh, and get ready. Yeah, I know it's only been two games, but you know we have to pace ourselves for the rest of the season. So we will we'll get be back in, in full steam ahead next week as we get you ready for the matchup between uh, the Fresno State Bulldogs and the Sacramento Hornets. Is that what yep, it is? Sacramento oh, State Hornets. Wow, I just pulled that one out of my head there. I just I could not even think of what their mascot was. But you know, the we will get you ready for that upcoming game next week. Uh, again, if you're in the area uh, for next weekend's game, then um, stop by our, our our tailgate. We we had again a nice little showing for our tailgate. And it's an opportunity for you to stop by, meet us, greet us, and and ask some questions that you know that you're not going to get the answer uh, directly on the podcast here. But you know, usually for the the premium subscribers, you might actually get a little nugget here and there from Jackson. I know he's hard to get some things out of sometimes, but you you might be able to get something out of him. Uh, but that being said, I want to thank everyone for joining us. You can find Jackson Moore at Jackson Moore two two four seven on Twitter. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at uh, Red Wave Report. You can also like our Facebook page or come over to the um, to the boards 
and you can find all kinds of good little information that you would not find anywhere else, especially if you are a premium subscriber. So that being said, I want to thank everyone for joining us and join us back again next week as we continue the ongoing coverage of Fresno State Athletics.